Hey guys, happy Monday. Um, whatever day it is, I've kind of been losing track. Anyway, um, I just wanted to let you guys know that um, we're going to be doing a little bit something different on this episode. Um, not necessarily a good or bad way, but I brought on an expert in suicide prevention to talk about a couple of things. Um, first, like Dr. Marshall is incredible and she wrote a blog on how to stay in a healthy mindset and treat your mental health um, during a time like this in this pandemic. And so she gives some really great tips on how to, you know, lower your anxiety and just get through this. Um, And then we also transitioned into our work at the AFSP, which is an organization that's really close to my heart. And um, I think that it's really important that you guys all listen to the whole episode like it may not you know sound as exciting as some of my ones with like comedians and singers etc but um I think it's a really great conversation and I'm really excited to share it with you all um and on a similar note you'll notice in the caption slash uh description of this episode there's a link um and that link is for my friend Brookie's uh, fundraiser for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Um, It's in honor of her brother and my uh, good friend Alex, who took his life a couple of years ago. And so I would really, really be so grateful if you guys could, um, you know, think about donating to Brookie's fundraiser. It would mean the world for me. It would mean the world for her. And, um, you know, even $5 really adds up. So... Again, it's going to the AFSP, which is just doing so much um, research on suicide prevention and postvention. And yeah, it would be awesome if you guys can contribute. Um, But on that note, here's the episode. Hope you guys enjoy. and welcome to another episode of Solace in the City. Today, I'm so excited to virtually be here with Dr. Doreen Marshall, who is the Vice President of Programs for the American uh, Foundation for Suicide Prevention, which is very close to my heart. Um, So thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so why don't you start off by telling me a little bit about yourself, where are you from, what's your story, where'd you go to school, where'd you grow up, etc.? Sure, sure. Um, So I am a psychologist by training, and I've been in the field of suicide prevention for just about 20 years, um, but I've worked across a number of different settings in community mental health, um, university, uh, campus counseling centers, uh, different uh, environments. And I got my PhD in counseling psychology at Georgia State University, um, but I grew up in the Northeast. And um, my connection with suicide prevention uh, is that uh, when I was in graduate school in the mid-90s, I actually lost someone close to me to suicide. And it kind of uh, focused my career at that point on looking at the intersection uh, between mental health and suicide, but also really focused on helping people take care of their mental health. Oh, wow. I'm so sorry. Yeah, that's crazy. Especially, I mean, I imagine back then it was you know, like talked about even less. Um, so did you all, were you always interested in psychology even before that? 
I was, yeah. And I um, always knew I, I would be in uh, the helping professions of some sort. That was something I was kind of called to pretty early in my life. But um, I think w- what that experience did was really um, helped me understand the importance of taking care of our mental health, but also that uh, suicide is preventable. I learned a lot more about it after that than I had learned going into um that experience. And I I think the important piece of that for me was really that I learned there's a lot we can do to take care of our our mental health, just like we take care of physical health. So, but yeah, no, I was always drawn to kind of helping professions even before that had happened. Awesome. And then what brought you to the AFSP? Well, it's interesting. It's actually a, a really great story. Um, you know, after experiencing my loss, I had connected with AFSP really as just a person who was a volunteer. Um, they were at that time um, mostly centered in the Northeast, although now um, AFSP has chapters in all 50 states. But back then, it was really an organization that was centered in New York, New Jersey, in that area of the country. Um, but through that kind of volunteer work, it, it kind of drew me more into the work of the organization. And I joined the staff about six years ago full time. And it was just one of these things where the timing was right for everyone. And, it, and it, I've, I've been thrilled to be on staff there. It's a terrific organization. So what does the vice president of programs mean? Like what's your day to day look like more or less? So, you know, it's been a role that's kind of expanded over time. Um, You know, what I a lot of what I've done in this role is support our chapters. Um, So we have chapters in all 50 states that run run education programs, uh, run loss and healing and support programs. And so my role really has been both on the content and trying to, you know, create education programs for communities around this topic, but also um, on the delivery end. So helping our chapters bring those programs to their local communities. Many of our chapters, um, in fact, all of our chapters are primarily volunteer run, though there is a staff person almost in every state right now. Oh, wow. And compared to other organizations that are mental health focused, like what does the AFSP do specifically to prevent or to work on suicide prevention and postvention? It's a great question. So we, we have a few kind of areas of focus. Um, we fund research in this area. So we're one of the um, largest private funders of suicide prevention research in the United States. In fact, I think we are the largest private. Um, and so a lot of the fundraising that we do at the local level um, does go to support learning more about suicide and how to prevent it. And that's by funding um, some of the United States and the world's top researchers in this area. Um, I, the other thing we do is we um, have education programs and community events that really help communities uh, rally around taking care of your mental health, educating communities around suicide prevention and, and what people can do to prevent it and how they can support those who have lost someone to suicide or who are struggling themselves right now. And then kind of the other main area of our work is in uh, advocacy. So we have an office in Washington, D.C., and what we do is help people advocate both at the national level but also in their states uh, to improve mental health care, 
um, to make sure there's adequate resources for things that, that are known to uh, support suicide prevention efforts like crisis lines and things like that. So we have a number of different kind of areas of our work, and I think that does make us a little unique compared to other organizations. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, I've been in touch or with various people, um, various like volunteers or workers from the AFSP a lot over the past two years, and everyone I've spoken to has like been incredibly helpful and just amazing. Um, so, right. it, I mean, I could ask you like a ton of questions about um, your work for the AFSP, but I thought I would kind of focus this interview on the situation at um, hand, which is COVID. And I was wondering to get, or I was hoping to get um, the perspective of someone who already like works in the mental health field on like what's happening and how it is affecting, you know, everyone's mental health. Because I, I, I joke about it sometimes, like not seriously, but you know, for me, I have anxiety I'm, this isn't anything like new for me. Whereas others, you know, may be going through this thinking like, what's happening? Like, why am I feeling like this? So I guess from your perspective, like what's, what's going on? It's a really good question. And I think an important one to ask. And I, I think the one thing we have to remind each other of is that this is an unprecedented set of circumstances and a completely unique and unusual one for most of our lifetimes. Um, and because of that, I think people are having kind of normal responses to a really unusual and, and a situation we have no practice with. That's the way I think about it. Um, and so for some of us, you know, we may find we're having trouble sleeping or we're, we're more on edge than usual, usual or more sad, and that's a new experience for us. Whereas for others, um, if you've had mental health concerns or if you've been through very difficult circumstances in your life, this may feel more like those experiences that you've had in the past. Um, and, and I think the uncertainty piece right now is the piece that a lot of people are struggling with. You know, we, we kind of go through our day-to-day -day lives with a fair amount of certainty, um, or at least we believe we have a fair amount of certainty. And there's a lot that we're learning that's changing day to day um, that I think has people kind of unsure and unsettled. Um, but what we do know, and I think this is maybe the most important piece, is that there are things we can be doing right now, whether we currently struggle with a mental health condition or we've never struggled with one, that we can do to help take care of our mental health. And that's really where a lot of our, our messages have been in the last few weeks is really putting out information for people to, to find ways to take care of their mental health going through this uh, experience. So what are some things, because I think like a lot of what I've had trouble with, not so much personally, but maybe more so like in advising others is how to balance, you know, taking the necessary precaution and listening to the news and taking it seriously, but also not, you know, not taking it so seriously that you're working yourself up so that your immune system goes down and it has a reverse effect. Like, where is that balance? Yeah, no, I, I think that's the piece right now is that, you know, it's a good time for all of us to do a bit of a self-check for ourselves and really tuning into how are the things I'm doing right now on a day-to-day -day basis making me feel better, worse, 
And one of those is news and media consumption, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so kind of paying attention to, well, you know, when I engage with this information, how am I left feeling? And I think what most people are finding is that they don't need the 24-hour news cycle or the hour-to-hour updates. They may need a touch point or they may need to kind of check in once a day on, okay, what's, what's the summary of what's happened today? But what they don't need is, is a lot of engagement with that. I think what a lot of people are finding is that they pretty much get the information um, and can feel okay, but it's the ongoing information and and the the more of it the more time engaged with it that can really increase people's stress levels um you know i think the other piece too is kind of taking care of the basics so what i tell folks a lot right now is you know it's very helpful to focus on what's in your control versus what's not and what you'll find if you start teasing those two things out is that there actually are a lot of things in our control right now. Um, certainly we can take, um, take some steps to protect ourselves and we're getting good information about what that looks like. Um, we can do our best to get plenty of rest. Um, we can take care of a small activities that may give us a sense of accomplishment, but also not be overburdensome. Um, I've done a lot of laundry in the last two weeks and actually yes. there is something about kind of just getting through that, that gives you a sense of, okay, I did something today that's going to help me. Um, You know, things like eating as well as you can right now, um, you know, engaging, staying connected with people virtually and and people who um, help you feel okay versus people who um, maybe you've had a difficult relationship with. I think now is the time, as much as we can limit the stress that's within our control, um, the better we'll be. Um, and, and I think the other piece of that too, is not letting our thinking get too far ahead of us. Um, there is something very practical about saying, you know what, I'm going to focus on what's happening now and not let my head go too far into the future. Because if you have any tendency toward anxiety, what most of us with anxiety are very good at is seeing all the possible things that could happen, um, many of which will never happen. So it's really about staying in the moment, staying connected um, and staying present, um, focused on what you can control. I feel like at this point, you know, when when this episode publishes, we know what we know and that's just, we, we have to just take it as is and roll with it because at the end of the day, nothing is in our control. Well, I, I would I would say a little bit different than that. I think the things that are in our control are what we do in our own living space, right? Mm-hmm. How much we wash our hands. Um, yeah. How, how much we limit our consumption of, of news, you know. Um, and it's not saying that the news is bad, but I think, you know, the way we currently consume information, we're getting it from all sides, right? And we're getting it via email. We're getting it through the television. We're getting it through podcasts. We're getting it in all sorts of ways. So just really focusing on, okay, you know, what do I need to know to help take action and keep my family safe and keep myself safe? And then what's the rest of information that's out there that maybe I don't need to consume right now or maybe never? Um, I, I wrote a blog about this and a few weeks ago. And one of the things I put in the blog was, you know, if you or your family are not currently on a cruise ship right now, do you really need to know all the details about the cruise industry and and COVID-19? I mean, really kind of focusing in on 
what is it that I need to know? And how can I get that information in a way that's manageable to me without this constant kind of news stream of overwhelming me? Definitely. And I, how would you recommend to people like on just getting physical activity in? I mean, I think one of the things um, we're all facing right now is to have to be creative in ways that, that we couldn't before. And so, you know, I think getting physical exercise, we know all of the evidence is that that supports both our, our physical and our mental health, boosts our immune system, all of that. It, it, there's a good reason to stay active right now. Um, but there's lots of ways to stay active. If you're in an area where it's safe to kind of step outside, I think the fresh air and, and, and the sun helps. Um if that's not the case or if you don't feel comfortable doing that, you know, th there's also things you can do in your house um, or in your apartment or home. Um, you can have a dance party. <laughs> you can put on your favorite music. You can um, grab a couple jugs of water or whatever you have in your house that's heavy and practice kind of doing some, some lifting if you don't have any weights in your house. Uh, you can do st yoga stretches. There's lots of things on YouTube and the internet. Lots of folks putting out that kind of information right now. Um, I, I would say get creative and don't limit yourself. Um, but try and get your heart pumping a little bit or at least stay moving. And, you know, 30 minutes a day is ideal. But even if you could do 10 minutes here or there, it will add up over time. Yeah, definitely. I've been trying just to – luckily I live by the water – so I can just go to the East River and walk back and forth, come back, wash my hands, and just feel refreshed. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, the things you can do, I think, right now, this is an extension of that, and it's forcing some creativity from us. Um, but, but there's no right or wrong. I think the goal is just to do what helps and to try and, you know, keep your body moving as much as you can. Um, I, I am still working from home, so I've been, while I'm on conference calls, kind of walking around my house is a way to just kind of stay from sitting all day. Um, those kinds of things that we can do right now are really helpful. Definitely. And what, what advice would you give to someone, let's say someone's in New York working alone, no roommates, and like really struggling? Like how, what advice would you give to that person? You know, I, I think if you're connected via technology, which the vast majority of us are these days, either we have cell phones, smartphones, computers, laptops, uh, tablets, you know, this is a time where we are more connected than ever. And I think to take those steps to reach out to folks that you want to connect with, that you know, even if you're just talking about, you know, how tough this has been, you know, the presence of that person will help. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I've recommended it, and I know other people have as well is doing Zoom meetings, whether it's a Zoom coffee hour, Zoom happy hour. Um, a, a friend of mine is in a Zoom book club where you're using those online platforms uh, to connect. Um, it was my mother's birthday last week. We couldn't get together as a family, but we did some FaceTime connecting. Uh, you know, trying to use those platforms of technology to stay connected if you're by yourself. Um, and then I think the other thing is, you know, to, to do the, the, not be afraid to engage what I think of as creature comforts, right? We all have the things that, that help settle us and make us feel 
more comfortable, more grounded, whether it's a cup of tea, a blanket, um, doing some stretches or exercise, but to not forget that the little things often add up to big things. And that if we can keep taking those little steps um, toward taking care of our physical and mental health right now, it's going to pay, pay off for us. Um, it may not feel like a lot, 10 minutes here or there, but it does tend to add up over time. Definitely. Okay, shifting gears away from COVID, um, I want to pick your brain a little bit about what you've learned from your time uh, working at in suicide prevention, because I, I think it's just extremely important to share. Um, like for some background, I lost one of my close friends to suicide um, in December of 2017. And at the time, I, I had an idea that my friend was struggling, but not to that extent. And I myself, I, I like still wonder like how I missed the signs, especially because I was, you know, also dealing with depression and anxiety at that time. So I was, I still kind of replay on my head over and over why I didn't pick up um, that he was feeling uh, so badly. So I guess, what have you learned about ways that we can, you know, prevent, like make that call that, um, that stops that mindset, you know, yeah. or like, what are just things or to look out for? Well, th this is a really just such an important topic. And I think there's a couple things I would say from, from what I've learned from our work and, and all of the tremendous research that's been done in this area. Um, you know, what we know about suicide is it's very complicated. Um, it's complex. It's, it's driven by mental health factors, biological factors, situational factors, that, that things kind of come together in a moment for a person. So, you know, the, the good news is the vast majority of people that struggle with their mental health will not go on to die by suicide. Um, and some of the people that have a thoughts of suicide, I, I would say most of the people that have thoughts of suicide do not go on to take their lives. But what we know happens is that it's a really a moment for people. Um, and so a lot of the work has been focused not only on trying to detect who's at risk, um, you know, how can we kind of get what we call get upstream and help people along the line so they don't get to a point of crisis. But the other thing is that if we can help people get through those moments, often the outcome is different. And one of the ways we think about that is that when, when you know someone who's struggling, ha making sure that person has resources available to them, such as um, a connection with a mental health uh, provider, uh, access to the crisis lines um, and, and the crisis text line in the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, where they can call those numbers in a moment, they don't, they don't have to be ready to go to the hospital. They can just be having a tough moment and need someone to talk them through. That's what those numbers are for. Um, to help people around safety planning, to limit access to means. I mean, one of yeah. the things we know is that if you are feeling suicidal and it's difficult for you to take steps to end your life because you don't have access to things that such as a firearm or medications, that can actually be a life-saving moment because it, it gives people time. And that's really what we're focused on. Um, you know, the other th big thing that I've learned is suicide is preventable. 
Um, but it requires lots of different things to happen. Um, it requires us to be paying attention to how much people understand their own mental health. It requires us to work and teach people how to manage stress and limit stress in their lives. Um, and for anyone like you and me who's lost someone to suicide, I mean, I think it's a very normal feeling to look back and think, did I miss something or what did I miss? Um, but I always say it, it's hindsight is twenty twenty, and that yeah. we can connect dots going looking back but it's hard to make sense of those looking forward. And that's why we spend a lot of time looking with people at, well, what are the things that might indicate someone's at risk or might be a warning sign for suicide? Um, and I'm happy to expand on that a little bit and tell you a few of those things if that would be helpful. Yeah, definitely. I think that's um, that's part of the, you know, like if, if so, I'm a very – I'm very open with my emotions. So when I'm sad, everyone knows I'm sad. And when I'm happy, everyone knows I'm happy. But I think um, that's not the case for, you know, a number of people or most people maybe. So we, what we do look for is certainly when people are thinking about suicide, um, we look for um, changes in their behavior, things that seem unusual or not typical of them. We listen for um, talk that indicates significant hopelessness, specifically talk about wanting to end their life. Um, what we know is somewhere, it's somewhere around 80% of people um, will say something to somebody um, that they're thinking of ending their life. Um, so, you know, it's about being vigilant and paying attention. And then when, when you hear that from someone, really not just letting it go or not thinking, oh, they're just saying that, you know, to get attention. But what we know is if someone's putting that out there, that means it, it, it's a, an invitation from us to follow up, to ask questions, to say, I'm concerned about you. I want to hear more about that. I want to help connect you to some help, um, to really take that seriously. Um, changes in behavior, like um, an increase in substance use, um, you know, noticing that their mental health symptoms are, are worsening. So somebody who maybe has struggled with anxiety seems extremely anxious. Someone who's been very depressed, you get a sense things have gotten worse for them. Um, certainly any um, kind of attempt to gain access to a way of harming oneself, um, you know, whether it's searching online, whether it's um, making taking steps to acquire um you know, something that could harm them. You know, if we get any information about that, it's really um, an, an indicator to us that we, we need to pay attention and we need to act. And to not assume someone else is going to do it, right? If you see it or if you hear it, it really is on you to, to try and engage that person and certainly share with them that help is out there, that you're willing to help them find help, and that um, you want to help them get through this really tough thing they're going through. Yeah, 100%. I think the hardest part is, you know, right now, especially with men, I've, I mean, it's I feel like they're so hesitant to open up and they're like, I'm fine. I just deal with things like this. Like, how do you, how would you recommend to someone to offer and hopefully successfully get someone to open up who may not be willing at first? Well, I think what's most important is that you're planting a seed. And, and what, I, what I always tell people is, you know, you may say something, the person may brush you off, or they may make light of what just happened. Or, but 
by saying to them, hey, I'm here for you and I want you to know I'm somebody you can talk to about this. I, I ha- understand my own mental health and I, I work through things too. And I'm someone that if you're ever feeling that way, I, can, I want you to know I'm someone you can come to. I think just saying that kind of opens the door and lets that person know that, hey, not only do I see you and I, I see your struggle, but I'm here for you and I'm here to listen if you want to talk about it. Um, even if it doesn't kind of take on the first time you ask, um, to not give up, to maybe ask again a little while later, but also to put out there that, hey, there's nothing that you have to say that's going to make me not want to stay connected to you or like I'm here, I'm with you in this. And when you're ready to talk, I'm here to listen. Yeah, I've even found just with my podcast, like, I feel like one thing, for one thing, people are more willing to open up when it's virtually. And it's like by making myself vulnerable on this thing, by like, you know, speaking words into existence, it's allowed people to come to me as like a a friend or like almost therapist-like thing. I feel like they can confide in me just because I'm talking about it, which is, I mean, amazing. And I would... I I love like knowing that, but I think that's part of it is just normalizing the conversation and talking about mental health like you would about physical health. Absolutely. And, and it's okay to ask directly about suicide. You know, I think, you know, people always think, oh, if I bring that up, am I going to like make the situation worse or am I putting a thought in someone's head? And the, the research actually is quite different from that. What we know is that when someone is struggling to say, hey, you seem really overwhelmed. And sometimes when people feel overwhelmed, they may have thoughts about suicide or wanting to take their life. Have you ever had those kind of thoughts? Just kind of working it into the conversation, but asking directly about suicide. On the recipients end, what tends to happen is it's a little relief. Like, okay, someone gets how serious this is for me. Someone is putting it out there. And many people will engage and will say, yeah, I've had those thoughts. Or they may say, well, no, I haven't. But it's an indicator that you're someone I can talk to about this. Um, Not being afraid to ask directly uh, is really a big piece. And then saying, look, you know, I'm here for you and I want to help you get what you need to get through this. Um, But not being afraid to ask. And like you said, sometimes people put it out there and we're not sure, or they may send a note or an email or something, a post, and we're not sure what that means. It's okay to ask directly and trust your gut on that. Yeah. One, one other thing I think there's like, you know, different types of people who, um, I guess deal with these types of topics. And for me, I remember like about two years ago now, I organized a, um, out of the darkness walk at Johns Hopkins where I went to college and invited like a bunch of my friends and raised money for, um, in honor of my friend who passed and I remember one of my really close friends didn't show up and I, I didn't really ask much, but later on she said, those kind of things make me really uncomfortable. And I, I kind of got where she was coming from, but I, I guess, how, what would you say to a person who feels like uncomfortable from these situations or, or well, the topic, I guess? Yeah. I mean, I, I think you have to meet people where they are, but I think 
you know, sometimes the discomfort is really coming from a place of misinformation, right? So they may assume some things that aren't and aren't actually true. Um, you know, when I tell people that I work for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, a lot of people think I have a very depressing job. Yeah. And what I tell them is actually you'd be amazed how hopeful the work I do is, um, how I'm, I'm surrounded by people who are finding ways to kind of work through the pain that life has dealt them or their own mental health. Like, I think what people are often surprised is that there's a lot to be hopeful about in suicide prevention and that we're at a time now where these conversations couldn't have happened 20 years ago. You know, mm-hmm. We're talking differently about mental health. And so all with all of that being the case, I think sometimes people's discomfort comes from not knowing. And the more we can share information with them that maybe helps them kind of work through whatever apprehension they have. But you have to meet people where they are. Um, and I think the other thing is to live, to lead by example in a way, right? I mean, there's what's so great about the, what you just described doing at Johns Hopkins is like by leading by example and showing people, hey, we can talk about this. We can talk about tough things. It really sends a message out to those that might not be sure about that, that it's okay and that people will support you if you do that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think one thing I remember at first feeling like awkward bringing up my friend to um, his sister and, you know, uncomfortable around that. But at the end of the day, like I love talking about Alex and I love remembering stories about him because it keeps him alive. Like it, it, you know, it's not awkward to talk about it because it's, it's almost necessary. Yeah. And that healing comes from the things we, we can open up about, you know, I, I often say that I think when people are struggling and, and, and feeling suicidal, it's a very isolating feeling. And the more we can kind of just have those conversations openly and check in with people openly, it helps them feel less alone with their struggle. A hundred percent. What are some of the, you know, positive uplifting things, um, in like in suicide prevention and just going on? Well, I mean, I can tell you from a research perspective, we are learning lots. Um, We know more now about treatments that show a lot of promise and work when someone is struggling. Um, There are, uh, there's lots of national efforts that are being done, not only by AFSP, but but other organizations to make sure uh, mental health access is better, that people can access support more easily. Um, you know, there's lots of um, support right now for people who struggle and for lost survivors that wasn't there before. Uh, our website, for example, um, has a listing of support groups, and I believe it's like over 500 support groups nationally for people who have lost a loved one to suicide. Um, you know, when my friend died um, back in, in 1995, I can tell you there weren't nearly that many. I think maybe there were 30 or 40 nationally. And if you weren't lucky enough to live near one, you had no access to that kind of support. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think the hopeful piece is we're having different conversations now about mental health and about suicide prevention. There's tremendous research that's being done. We know more clinical treatments that work right now, such as um, cognitive behavior therapy, dialectic behavior therapy. There's lots of great information and research supporting the use of 
of those and other treatments. Um, and that people who are struggling have a voice. I think for the longest time, people were afraid to speak out about their own struggles, whether it's mental health struggles or struggles, struggles with lived experience of suicide. And I think being able to have some open conversation and that being in the public eye right now is incredibly hopeful. I think that's how we change things is by, you know, bringing them out into the light and, and um, sharing with one another, not only our experiences, but what works. Amazing. Yeah. A hundred percent. So I always end by asking the same five questions to everyone. They're completely unrelated to this, um, but I, okay. I'm going to ask you them nonetheless. So the first question is, What's one thing in your life that's happened to you that's made you a stronger person today? Well, I would certainly say that the loss I experienced um, at the time um, was one of the worst things I could ever imagine happening. And I, getting through that um, really taught me a lot about my own ability to get through things, but also about kind of the people in my life and how they support me. So that, that's certainly one. Yeah, that's that's so true. The last part, just really finding out, like, I mean, granted, I think that it's something so unique that no one should ever have to experience, but there is something that I, I feel like if you've gone through it, you can just relate with other people who have gone through it in a very unique way. That's very true. Second question is, do you believe everything happens for a reason? Um, you know, that's a tough one for me because I think there was a time when I did. Um, and I think now my belief is a little modified on that mm -hmm. in that, um, I, I think things happen the way they're supposed to. And that if we look hard enough, we can find the lesson or the learning for ourselves and everything. So even the toughest things that happen, um, I don't know if there's like a grand reason they happen, but what I do know is that all things that happen um, have potential to teach us something about ourselves and, and that sometimes, or about other people or the way we exist in the world. And that to me um, is probably the reason they happen. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, I completely agree a hundred percent. Like there's a learning lesson in everything. Um, That's right. Yeah. So a hundred percent. Is there a quote or a mantra that you live by? Oh, gosh. Well, um, I probably several, um, but I, I will say I'm looking at my bulletin board right now as I'm talking to you, and I have a few quotes that are up there. And um, one of the ones I have is um, up here is love is the answer. And I, I, I really believe that, that most things, including what we're going through currently right now, if we can just approach it from a place of love, we'll be all right. Yeah, I saw this, like, this quote for something. It's, like, um, in, in regards to COVID and, and, like, everything being canceled or, oh, yeah, it was everything was canceled and it was, like, kindness isn't canceled still. I loved that. Yeah. Um, That's great. Speaking of love, what do you love most about yourself? Um, you know, for whatever reason, I, I'm built – I'm one of these people who's built to stay the course. And, and that's something, you know, I, I don't give up easily and I, I sometimes probably to my own detriment, but um, I'm willing to see things through. And so that's something I not only love, but admire about myself. Yeah, that's great. When's your birthday, out of curiosity? Uh, funny, it's uh, in just about two weeks. April 15th is my birthday. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm into astrology. <laughs> oh. 
So, and last question is, how do you find solace in New York City? Um, you know, I, I'm more of a visitor to New York than living in New York, but, but I spend a significant amount of time there. And I do think what, there's something about New York City and New Yorkers in particular that um, are, it's such a community. Um, and so I, I think no matter what your kind of connection to New York is, there's just everyone who's there wants to be there and there's something about that right um so you know i think in terms of finding solace you know i find solace generally in my life in the little things and i I think that's wherever you go you know if it's if you don't take it with you it won't come it won't be there when you get there um so just doing the things that bring you solace that even the little things that's i think you can find that kind of solace anywhere yeah, I agree. It's it is. I like to so that that um, you know everyone here wants to be here. That's so true. And even if we don't really notice it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, right, right. I mean, it's, it, there is something about that. I mean, most most New Yorkers I speak to uh, wouldn't live anywhere else, um, and that that's a pretty amazing thing. Yeah, for anywhere. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for letting me ask you all these questions. My question for you is: How can my followers? support the AFSP like what resources are you do you offer and just name everything that they can go to or look for yeah well that's great and so um actually before I do that one of the things I did want to say is um if anyone that's listening to your podcast um is finding themselves struggling or knows someone who's struggling um particularly at this difficult time but um you know, that needs an extra resource. Um, the crisis text line um, is fully operational right now, and they can access that by texting the word TALK, T-A-L-K, to 741-741. Again, texting the word TALK, T-A-L-K, to 741-741. Um, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is also in operation and fully working. Um, and that number is 1-800-273-TALK, T-A-L-K, 1-800-273-TALK. And the reason I share those resources, um, which are run by partner organizations, is because I think even if you are not in crisis, um, putting those numbers in your phone somewhere, you never know when you're going to need them or when you're going to talk to someone who's struggling. And having those available is really something you can do that costs nothing but a few minutes of your time. Um, but other things I think just generally to support AFSP, go to our website, AFSP.org, um, learn about suicide. Uh, you'll find on there ways to support our different events. Uh, many of our community events are going virtual right now, including walks that we would typically do in a community. We're finding ways to do that virtually. Um, certainly as a nonprofit, um, donating helps us further our work. And if you're interested in the advocacy piece, you can become a field advocate, which really just puts you um, on an email list to get alerts about things that may be happening locally and federally to support mental health. Um, And you can do that through our website as well. Um, Sign up to be a field advocate. Amazing. Yeah, I'll definitely put the numbers um, in the caption and in the, the little note on the podcast episode. But yeah, thank you so much again, and um, bye, everyone. 